currently 5 or 5 p.m. It's uh, 13 degrees outside. There's a nice nip in the air. The uh, sun is dropping and <laughs> wind is rising. Uh, what temperature are we looking at tonight, Luke? Uh, let me get it on my phone. One sec. I didn't actually want you to look up the weather. Oh, no, shit. I was way off. It's 16 degrees right now. Oh, damn. Um, at 6 p.m., it will be 15 with um, a slight current of air. <laughs> well, do you want to tell these lovely people uh, who our weatherman is. That's me. Yeah, your name? Hi, I'm Luke. <laughs> and I'm Joe. Welcome to Nocturnal. Uh, a podcast about all things nightlife and uh, Melbourneian culture. So what does that include, Luke? That includes many things, including <laughs> films, <laughs> music, video games, <laughs> Nightlife, such as bars, architecture. Mm. Do we say music? I don't know. <laughs> I think you get the point. Uh, so, do you want to introduce yourself? And what Here's you what I would like to do. I would like to start again. <laughs> oh, but why? I thought that was really good. Oh, was it good? Yeah. Okay, alright, let's keep going then. Uh, big sh- ignore that. Um, <clears throat> He's just a little insecure. It's his first time podcasting. Oh, yeah? It's not. We filmed a pilot, uh, what, like three weeks ago? I think it was three weeks ago now. My God, it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got 20 minutes in and then... And then it just went off the rails. Yeah, it's unfortunate. So welcome to the new pilot, which will air. <laughs> yes, we can guarantee you that. <laughs> anyway, introduce yourself. Yeah, my name is Luke, um, and I am a podcaster. A uh, filmmaker, a game maker, and a discount artist. So, that's a bit about me. So, you plan on making no money, just like me? Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm Joe. I am I also a podcaster, now I guess. Uh, in the works to be a filmmaker, I haven't made anything solo for a while. But I am working on a project right now, as is Luke. Um, what else? We like to write. And we like to read. We like to be artsy boys. Yeah. I like to say we're, we're primarily writers. At least, like, when yeah. we go into film or, like, when I go into games, my I always tackle it from a writing perspective. Yeah, I think I do as well. I mean, definitely. Uh, currently, I'm into comedy sort of writing. Um, seeing how that goes in terms of, like, being funny. Yeah. And what do you work... What do you, what's your current project? Um, I've actually got a, a bunch that I'm working on at the moment. Like, I've been... I've just swamped myself with work, but, like, mm-hmm. what I'm focusing on at the moment is a project called Postmodernist Transbingo. Right. It's, um... It's a mini-series that centers itself around the production of a bunch of shitty films that Joe and I made in high school. Yeah. Um, fun. but it's very surreal in the way it's being made, so it's, like, it's very reminiscent of, of David Lynch's films or... Who is a... Famous director who made a lot of really weird surreal films. If you don't know, yeah, you guys might know him from um, from Twin Peaks. Yeah, uh, what's his most? I guess Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet is maybe the movie you've heard of because that's the most 
successful one? That made the most money, but that came out like 1970-something. Yeah, something, I, I, think. Think. I don't know. Um, look him up. He's a great director. Uh, yeah, I am working on a little series called Creative Interviews with Creative People, in which I take my friends and family in each episode and sort of just find out what makes them creative and what makes them tick creatively. So what creativity means to them, what they like to do that flexes their creative brains, all that sort of thing. Uh, sort of reminiscent of Jerry Seinfeld's comedian Cars Getting Coffee, if you've ever seen that. I think um, I think that's really interesting, because like comedians in Cars Getting whatever, coffee. Yeah, coffee. Yeah, that's that's the beverage. Yeah. Um, that's like, it's very broad in its approach, so it's yeah. not like, it's not specifically the people who came from that comedy scene. It could be Bill Burr or Obama or whatever. Yeah, exactly. With um, your show, it's completely broad in terms of creativity so it can literally be anything well yeah that's exactly what i want it to be because i think creativity can be anything your brain thinks of that isn't you know like straightforward objective mathematics if that makes sense like so you could take one creative person they could be doing something completely different to what another creative person is doing so that's what i want to explore yeah, that's that's interesting. I think you said something to me yesterday, which I would like to say sums up the show, at least in my head, and that's that everybody has creativity. Yeah. Um, that's f- something firmly I believe in, which is... Because, like, I think I was saying this to you yesterday as well. Um, I feel like people who feel like they aren't creative just haven't tapped into it or don't know how to tap into it. Or maybe they're scared to tap into it because there are so many like facets of creativity that just bring you down. Like, what were we saying yesterday when people like to shit on people who are creative? Yeah, just as like a hobby. Uh, I don't think people mean to do it. It's just something in like human brains, or it's like, well, you made something. Uh, let me critique it. Like, you know, I think it comes back to the the thing that like people like what's safe. When you're going out and creating something that's really out there or that doesn't follow generic um, traditional um, structures, yeah, then in like in their weird way, they're looking out for you because they want whatever you make to be successful. Yeah, at least in the case of your friends. So when they tell you this is shit or they're like, "Please don't do this," it's because it's such a risky idea or it's such a different idea that that in their head it's not safe, right? And it's not viable for them. That definitely makes sense because I mean the creativity. F- well, not the creativity field, but if you want to talk about the media field, uh, like film and stuff like that, that's not necessarily a safe field at all. No. Um, and in um in the terms of, like, me when it comes to that, I had a friend who I gave my script to, and he read through, like, one or two pages, and he sent me a text saying, that is not how people talk, with yeah. an exclamation mark. Um, and he was, like, he was ripping the script to sh- uh, shreds, essentially. Um, but I took that as a compliment in a weird way because I'm reading a book called Lynch on Lynch at the moment, which Mm -hmm. is about the director, David Lynch. And when he was showing a razor head off to all these studio execs, um, he showed it off to one of them and halfway through the movie, he stood up and screamed, this is not how people talk and then walked out. And then a razor head ended up becoming a razor head and sparking like an entire genre of films. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you can't really let people get you down if you want to be creative which is sort of what i'm trying to aim for with my show is like showing people 
creativity facets from all different types types of people. Hopefully, someone seeing it would who feels like they want to be creative but they can't or they're scared to will just have that the gut to like go out and make whatever the fuck they want, which you know is great. Yeah, that's good. And even if you don't like, even if you don't get that audience or you don't become successful from this project, yeah, there's always growth that comes from that. Oh, definitely. I mean, I'm not making it to be successful. I don't think it will be successful. Uh, but it's something to just show off, right? And it's just something to make for yourself. And at the end of the day, you're only the only thing you're getting from it is, well, you made this. And now next time, you know how to do this better, you know how to do this better, you know how to write this better, you know how to uh, choreograph this better, blah, blah, Yeah, exactly. Um, I was actually, I was talking to someone, it was, a, it was a couple of months ago, but I remember him saying to me that naturally, in filmmaking, your first 10 projects aren't going to be very good, no matter what they are. Right. Um, so, even if they aren't, if they, even if they don't get the reception that you want, it's still going to be beneficial to you, because you're going to learn from everything that you do. Um, and if you take our first film as an example, um, just for some background, Joe and I made a film, I think it was like five years ago now. It's, it's quite old. Five years? It was made in year 11, wasn't it? Or was it year 10? Uh, oh, maybe it was year 11. No, it was year 10. No, it was year 11. Yeah. Okay, so what, three years ago? Yeah, three years. Um, I go back and look at that and it was, it was a mess. Like I, at the time I... I was really proud of my editing, but it was choppy and, like, none of the dialogue meshed and oh, there was noise. Oh, truly horrendous. We, <laughs> we did what I call the, the black and white fallacy, which is, if you're filming something in black and white, you should be doing it because it adds aesthetic and it adds, like, something to the film. You shouldn't be doing it because you're trying to hide things <laughs> from the audience. We did it to hide the fact that it was supposed to be a like a dark detective noir film. Yeah. But we filmed it inside our media classroom. Yeah. So you could see like the chairs and the whiteboard with writing all over it. And it was like, oh, God. It, oh, it's, it's actually horrendous. I'm pretty sure scene locations change midway f- through the film. Like, you, okay, you know what's funny about it, though? <laughs> that film was the best film of the class. Oh, my God, yeah. Because the other ones, my god, were they bad. (laughs) Like, they weren't even films. They were just like, people just went out and shot things with a camera and then stitched it together. I think, like, someone did a Breaking Bad film. It was just like a a Breaking Bad ripoff. Oh, yeah. Set in a KFC. (laughs) We've grown as filmmakers. Yeah, slightly. Um, Not much, but we we have grown, I'd like to say. I'd say so. I think the writing has gotten better. Oh, yeah. I'd like to think that's the best thing that's improved. Even the acting. Oh, yeah. Well, we hired our friends. One of which is a good actor. Oh, yeah. Actually, we do have a few good actors. Yeah. Some of which will be on the podcast in the future. Look forward to that. Yeah. When we don't get (laughs) cancelled. Um, like us as actors, even. I, I wouldn't consider myself a good actor. I don't think I'll ever become a good actor. Oh, no. But looking at myself in BP Noir, I'm putting on, like, a gravelly Batman voice trying to sound cool. <laughs> and I'm just, like, looking blankly into the distance and just, like, no emotion in my face. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm the same. I, I kind of remember... There was just... Uh, there's one scene with me. I'm just like, why? You, like... And this is coming from someone who stage acted for a while. So... Uh, I shouldn't have had that much trouble. <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
But goddamn, did I? <laughs> there's a there's a great line which I can't remember at the moment, but I'm gonna chuck in in post okay. from you. Yes. Yeah. Add that in. Oh god. So Roy, if you're really gone off the map, the least you could do is come say hello every now and then. I'm doing time. What? Crying over that fruit you used to keep around? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Roy. I just got you back. I don't want to see you die again. You took everything from me. Look at me. Uh, I just ate the mic. I'm sorry for everyone who heard that. Right. Um, I wanted to talk about something. What was it? That's not good. We would like to talk about dreams. Oh, yeah. Dreams. Um, so I want to I wanna kick this off with a, a dream I had. It was, it was a couple of weeks ago now, but it was supposed to be like fresh but like shit came up and we didn't record the podcast immediately we're lazy is what he's saying <laughs> yeah it took us three weeks to get to this point um let's fuck the mic again oh my god anyway so john Turturro is um he's a, he's a great actor wouldn't you say uh is this the guy in transformers he's in transformers he's in do the right thing he's in a bunch of stuff I haven't seen him enough. Okay, okay, I'm gonna be honest. The only thing I've seen John Turturro in is Transformers, and he's fucking horrendous. So <laughs> he was the best part of the film. <laughs> Wasn't he like the deli owner? He was like a cop, and no, then, he, then he owned a deli. Oh fucking no! Those movies are terrible. <laughs> and then he was in Cuba. <laughs> I just remember him on a like in the desert in Transformers Two, doing some shit in like his singlet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that was that was number three when he was working for the deli, and he didn't have time to get changed. I, I think. Know. Anyway, what you bring up John Turturro for a reason? Yeah, I did actually. So I had a, I had a, I had a dream about John Turturro, which is weird because I haven't seen any John Turturro films recently. Um, but what was happening was you were in the dream. Great. And quite a lot of people we know were in the dream. Uh huh. We were standing by a bathroom in a cafe just chatting. Yep. And <laughs> As John, you do. yeah. <laughs> John Turturro comes up to me. He grabs me by the collar, <laughs> and he's like, he's pissed off. He's like. I don't know. He's like, he's frothing at the mouth. At the mouth. He's angry. <laughs> so he grabs me, throws me into the bathroom, uh-huh. opens up a stall, and then just like kicks me until I walk into the stall. What did you do to piss off John Turturro? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And for whatever reason, you weren't grabbed as well, but you come and like sit next to me anyway. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Casually just sit next to you. Yeah. Well, you were like on your knees ready to be executed or something. Great. <laughs> um, so John Turturro, he grabs toilet paper, like wets it, and then chucks it in my mouth what so I can't fuck? talk. Um, and he's like angry. I don't know what he's angry over. And I'm like, oh, fuck, what am I going to do? Uh, this shit's bad. So I like, I spit the toilet paper out of my mouth and I'm like, hey, man, I'm trying to grovel up to him. Hey, man, you're really good and do the right thing. And he's like, oh, thank you. <laughs> and then we start having a conversation. Um, Because I'm like, I'm trying to postpone my death because I know he's going to... Right. I know he's going to kill me. So he's like a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, he's a psychopath. Um, I guess he was and Do the Right Thing, so that's how it connects. Yeah. Oh, boy. Do so, the Right Thing is a Spike Lee film, by the way. Yeah, very good film. Um, so you turn to me. You give me the biggest wink. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then you run out. And then John Turturro runs out to chase you. Uh-huh. And he's got you by the collar. <laughs> he's walking. Dude. He's walking you back in. <laughs> and then he chucks you back on the toilet floor. It's like, oh, fuck. That, that's everything. You fucked it, Joe. Oh, that's that's sad. This is reminding me of, like, Pulp Fiction with, like, 
Marcellus Wallace and uh, Bruce Willis' character. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Perhaps that's where it came from. Um, so, I run out. And for whatever reason, he doesn't chase me. He's like, he's pissed off at you. Right. And on a, on a coffee table is uh, two of our friends, Will and John. And there's this angelic light shining down on John. And I've <laughs> never, I've never been so happy to see him. He was like, he was smiling. Our savior. <laughs> it was like, it was one of those, um, um, classic Christian paintings of like light shining down on Jesus. Oh my God. <laughs> and Jesus smiling and his, his eyes are closed and his arms are extended. Um, and he's like, I will provide for you, my sons. Right. So I, I go up to John uh-huh. and then it just cuts. Uh-huh. And John and Will are they're um they're fighting for my release from John Turturro. Like they're lawyers at this part of the dream. And they've got like all the papers. And at this point, John Turturro's got his head in his hands. <laughs> it's like, oh fuck, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna lose him. What the fuck is your brain? I don't understand. <laughs> I don't know. Um and I'm like, okay, guys, I'm gonna take a toilet break. So I go to the toilet. And all of John Turturro's gangsters are there. John Turturro now has gangsters, apparently. <laughs> well, he's, a, he's, he's like, he's an Italian in, um, in Do the Right Thing. He's an Italian in real life. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, he is. <laughs> but, like, he's one of the traditional, you know, family Italian yeah, men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's got his family men in, in the bathroom. I mean, magically, I have a gun in my hand. Uh-huh. And, yeah, it's just like, it's just like a Glock. And I start shooting down the gangsters, and they're all dying. Yep. And then I see John Turturro, and I look at him, and he looks at me, and I shoot him, like, right between the eyes. It was really sad. Fuck. <laughs> and then I turn around, um, and I see our f- other friend, Adam. Yeah. Um, and I didn't think, but I just pulled the trigger, thinking he was one of the gangsters. But there was no bullets left. I ran out of my bullets. And he turns and looks at me, and he says, why, man? Why would you do that? I'm like, I'm, I'm so sorry, Adam. I... <laughs> I thought you were a gangster. <laughs> and then he just starts crying, and that's the end of the dream. Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, now I've got to wonder what you were looking at before you went to bed, and, like, what ha- was happening in your subconscious. <laughs> I That's the weird thing. I can usually look at my dreams and be like, okay, this happened to me throughout the day. That had an influence. But this just came out of nowhere, and I'm I'm thinking back on it, and I'm like, what the fuck happened? But you even you didn't even watch Do the Right Thing recently. No, I watched it months and months ago. Yeah, that's fucking weird. That is a weird ass dream. Yeah, I didn't. I don't dream as much anymore. Like, I don't know. Like my dreams have been really short as well. Like I talk. Like I think I mentioned this too. I literally, cause yes, because yesterday, for our audience who doesn't know, we tried to record. Oh no, it wasn't yesterday. It was like two days ago. Um, mm. tried to record, couldn't get into the studio for some reason. The code wasn't working, so <laughs> that idea got postponed. So that night, I had a dream <laughs> that we had somehow managed to like open the door to the studio, but as soon as we walked in, a massive alarm went off. <laughs> Just blaring, and we were like freaking out. Didn't know what to do. <laughs> Wait, I was freaking out as well. Yeah, oh. we were just like, "Shit, we got we got caught. We got caught. <laughs> we got caught at our place of business." Yeah, apparently, <laughs> recording in the studio we have rights to. <laughs> I don't know. Also, oh my god, I'm okay. I'm now remembering parts of the dream as they're like coming up. 
It's so fucking weird. There was this Italian girl with us, right? Mm. I don't know how old. She, our age, maybe a little bit older. She had, like, short brown hair. Just, like, a very beautiful Italian girl, right? Mm-hmm. She has no semblance on the story at all. She was just there. <laughs> and then... <laughs> the dream cuts. And I'm in Italy. Running towards Aziz Ansari. <laughs> 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 who was a comedian and he created a show called Master of None right and on this show he dates an Italian woman named Francesca yes <laughs> so I run up to him and I'm like I'm like you need to get back together with Francesca <laughs> wait spoilers for people who haven't seen Master of None oh shit I'm gonna I'm gonna flick like a a, a timestamp on the screen and just click on that if you want to skip Master of None spoilers if you have not yet seen Master of None. Yeah, uh, Master of None spoilers beginning in three, two, one. Anyway, so I run up to him and I'm like, "You need to get back together with Francesca," <laughs> and she and he's like, "Oh, I don't know, man. I'm not really into dating." He's like, "I'm not really dating right now." I'm like, "You don't understand. <laughs> Why were you so adamant?" I don't know. And then. I pull the Italian girl out of nowhere. What? Wait, was that Francesca? Apparently, in my mind, it might have been Francesca. <laughs> I'm like, look, she needs you. <laughs> and then that's the end of the dream. Huh. Well, see, that one makes sense because we were talking about Master of None. We were talking about Italy. That is true. It just... It was just so confusing to me <laughs> to suddenly be talking to Aziz and sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Why do we have celebrity cameos in our dreams? Oh shit, that's true. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. We watch too much media. That's well that's possibly it. I I have celebrities appear in my dreams more than actual people. <laughs> I think I used to dream about the Simpsons more than anything else when I was a kid. Like how, I don't know how you dream a cartoon. Well, I was I think I was human in the world. Right, that makes sense. Still, I don't think I've ever had a dream where everything's animated around me. You know what it would have been like? At the end of um, Homer Cubes, when he teleports to the real world. Right. That's what it was, but like in reverse. We'll add a clip of that, for those of you who don't know what that is. Oh yeah, that's true. We keep referencing things. (laughs) (laughs) We're very referential, sorry. Um, Yeah, so that was a weird dream. I don't... But, like, that's the weirdest dream I've had in months. Here's the thing. Um, I forget who told me this, but someone someone mentioned that they started writing down their dreams, and that kind of, like, sparked your imagination to dream more. So I used to do it just a little bit whenever, whenever I had an interesting dream. Yeah. I'd, I'd type it down on my phone. Um, but now what I'll do is every morning when I wake up, I try and remember the dreams I had the night before and write it down. And... Every time I do that, my dreams get progressively weirder and progressively longer. That's... I don't know if that's good or not. Because, like, I don't know if I even like dreaming. Necessarily. Like, some of them are fun and, like, some of them are cool. But for the most part, it's just, like, boring stuff about real life or, like, just projections of what's going on in my real life. And in my mind, I'm like... I want to go from my conscious mind to my subconscious mind and be dealing with the same shit. <laughs> like, that's not fun. <laughs> well, do you get, like, do you get nightmares or? Not nightmares necessarily, just, like, negative dreams, I guess. Or just, like, well, not even negative, just, like, real-life experiences. 
See, that's weird because my dreams are based in like fantasy. Sometimes I'll be in Skyrim. Like that's how that's how weird my dreams will be. Where I'll just be in a video game and I'll be living my life in a video game. Yeah, I I never fucking get that at all. <laughs> I actually I had a dream. Um, this was this is a weird story that led up to this, but I had I had an entire dream that spanned over two lifetimes. Yeah. Um, and it felt like in my dream I felt like I lived the life of this um this prince mm-hmm. and then the prince's son when the prince died. What? The f- what? It was like. It was a it was a medieval themed dream, um, and I was the son of this like reclusive king. Right. And I have this image of the king sitting in this vast empty castle, uh huh, standing in the corner looking out on on the vista, and he just sit there with his arms crossed or stand there with his arms crossed, and just look on his city. And he would never say anything. And when you talk to him, he'd just continue looking out the window. So he was always like distant. Uh huh. And this guy was my dad. Oh my god, I was going to make that joke. What? <laughs> well, he was my dad. I was going to be like, it wasn't your dad because you're not dis- because you're not close to your dad. That's the weird thing. I'm really close to my dad. My dad isn't distant. <laughs> I was absolutely going to be like, fucking daddy issues. Like, <laughs> god damn it. That's actually weird as fuck. Um, it, it gets weirder. So I go home and I'm like, okay, he's surprisingly distant today. Um, and I go to my, co- I live in a cottage for whatever reason, and I hear banging on the door. Uh-huh. I open the door, and it's my sister. Mm-hmm. I forget I had a sister until now, but I had a sister. Um, and she's like, But you Shit. don't have one in real life. I don't have one in real life, no. <laughs> she comes into my house, starts digging at my floor, like, clawing at the floorboards, digs herself a hole, climbs in. Great. And puts the floorboards on top of her. Two years pass. What the f- you have a time skip? <laughs> there was, like, I remember, like, yeah, I remember myself getting older. I had a beard at this point. Um, and I, I'm like, oh, shit, yeah, my sister's in the floor. <laughs> so, basically, what happens from now on is I, um, I ask my sister what's going on. She says our dad's a vampire. I go into the castle. Um, he turns around and he goes to kill me. Vampire? When the fuck did this happen? I don't know, man. <laughs> it spanned a long period of time. Um, and I thought it was going to kill me because, like, boarding up all the exits with, like, wooden planks. He was doing that. He was doing that. But he's a vampire. <laughs> yeah. He's, oh, wait, no, that makes sense. He's yeah, trying to... <laughs> yeah, he's boarding sunlight. up the doors. Yeah, yeah. Because he doesn't want me to escape. And then his entire family comes through the door. Right. And then they start laughing. And they eat dinner. And they forget about me. <laughs> I see all your deep insecurities about being forgotten by your family are coming through your into dreams. <laughs> I I guess that could come into it, but like that would have to be really really deep rooted. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Like that would have to be like psychological like therapy shit you need to go deal with. Yeah. <laughs> so I had this dream about my dad being a vampire and he ignored me. <laughs> <laughs> And then, like, oh yeah, what ended up happening was that there was a there was a time skip, and then I played the son of that guy. So when I woke up, it was like, holy shit! I just lived two entire lifespans. I forgot I was me. Yeah, that would be fucking surreal. <laughs> yeah, especially like, I wonder how long that dream actually spanned in like real time. That always interested me, because 
you, you know, you've always had, like, everyone has dreams where, like, it feels like years and years, but it's been, like, what, half an hour in real time? Yeah, like, who knows? It could even be a shorter amount of time. There was an episode of Black Mirror, and I, have you seen this, the, the video game one? Yeah. That entire episode was 40 minutes long. It took place in half of a second in the guy's mind. Oh, yeah, that's true. Fuck. Yeah, that episode is... is didn't he go... Wait, oh, Black, Black Mirror spoilers for if you haven't oh, seen yeah, it. Oh, yeah, I'll chuck up the timestamp or some shit. Um, doesn't he, like, go brain dead at the end of the episode? Yeah, I think they overloaded his brain. Yeah. Because too much information was being sent into it. That's... Ugh. That was a scary one, because he kept waking up from um, from the dreams, or, like... Right, and you always think... That's what I... I always fucking hated that trope. If it's done well, it's done well. But, like, I always hate the trope where it's like, Oh, it was all a dream. Wait a minute. Was it all a dream? <laughs> Cut to credits. I'm like, fucking, don't, fuck off. Yeah, like Mario 2. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Where it, like, had all this cool lore about fucking frogmen and... Was it f- there was a carpet, and then it was all Mario's dream this entire time. Well, I mean, they had to do that because it was a completely different game before it was Mario 2. Yeah, but still, just, just like, what would the Mario universe be nowadays if we had... We had Birdo. That's from that game. So they retconned it. They retconned the ending, I guess. I guess, because Birdo is definitely a character. Oh, yeah, that's right. Huh. I don't know. Well, um, I Speaking think... Of games, did you see gameplay for Mario Tennis Aces? I am the editing magician, and I am here to maharagedly hide the bit where Joe cuts Luke off and Luke gets confuzzled. Le Kazouche. See. Seamless. So, Joseph, wasn't that a fantastic conversation about dreams? Yes. <laughs> yes, it was. I... Yes. <laughs> yes, it was, Joe. Yes. <laughs> well, I'll see you. After the intermission during Act Two. Hey, sorry, I was recording the podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I'll probably be home for dinner. Okay, this the pasta or rice? What kind of the same pasta as yesterday? Yeah. Is it just fried rice? Uh huh. Yeah, fried rice. Need the fried rice. Yeah. Okay, cool. What time do you think you'll be home? Uh, what's the time now? Uh, it's just after. Oh, probably at 7.7.30. Okay, I'll see you then. Alright, gentlemen. Bye. Thanks. Bye. And we're back. Welcome back to Nocturnal. This is Act 2. Of, of our, um... Of 2. Yeah. Or 3. Who knows? No, it's true. <laughs> we're not making a third. <laughs> well, welcome back to Act 2 of the, um... Nocturnal first episode extravaganza. <laughs> Got some special guests coming on later. We don't. That was a lie. I'm sorry for lying to you. But maybe next episode. No, it probably won't be actually. But like two episodes from now, maybe. Yeah. Well, stay tuned for that. <laughs> and they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So w- let's get going. Um, I wanted to bring up. Video games, um, that's a topic that I'm, I'm very passionate about. But in particular, I want to talk about kind of the creative depression in the game industry at the moment. Because for the last few years, I've found with a lot of games that they've been very similar 
to the games that have come out the year before. Um, and that's pretty much what it's been like for the last, I don't know, I'd like to say six years. Mm. Uh, no, no, most definitely. I would say 2007 to about now has been the exact same type of game. I'd say, like, even though this sort of industry started in about 2007, when we got, like, I'd mark this sort of era of gaming when Halo Reach came out and when Call of Duty um, Black Ops came out. Yeah. What what year do you know years ago? I have no idea. Um, it's, it's recent, but not too recent. But that's the formula that a lot of video games have been following recently. Yeah. Um... But they were still innovating up until about 2012, in my opinion, where we got games like Alain Noir, which was so weirdly different from everything else that, that came out. That is very true. And what's interesting about that, about that game is that it was polarizing. Yeah, because the main issue that people had was they wanted a, a sprawling open world. Yeah. But it because was... Because that was a new thing at the time. Yeah, exactly. But the world was just there to service the story. People didn't really understand that you don't just have to have an open world with litters of shit to do for no reason. Yep, which is something I absolutely despise about modern gaming. Yeah, and that's kind of what it's become, in my opinion. Um, One of my favourite games is Dragon Age, and everything that was placed into the world was there for a reason. Yeah. I can't say that there were any fetch quests or anything like that. It was mostly all story-based, and everything was there because the developers or writers wanted to tell a story. But when you get to Inquisition, which, weirdly enough, a lot of people say is one of the best games in the series, um, and yeah. I do like it for its own reasons. Yeah, it's pretty universally praised. Yeah. Um, the worlds and the kind of zones that are in that game, Yeah, they're empty. They have stuff to do, but it's literally like collect some shards or um, go fight this guy or kill ten Lyrium dudes. Yeah, it's just... I don't know, like, we were having this discussion the other day, but, like, quests don't feel like you're doing anything. They just feel so lackluster, and, like, not just in Inquisition, but, like, Fallout 4, for example, Mm -hmm. like, you're not doing anything that's meaningful or actually, like, fun. It's just the same shit over and over again, and you get bombarded with them, like... yeah. It felt like there was a specific formula at play um, that was designed to keep you as playing as long as possible. Yeah. Um, which is, like, the case for all those games, which is fine. But you really felt it with this game, and they didn't do much beyond the um, formula of get a quest, go to an area, clear it out, yeah. um, collect your award, and use that to buy a new gun. And right. then just start it and do that over and over and over. Mm-hmm. That's what that entire game felt like. Um, and that's what I feel like a lot of AAA games are being distilled to, at least in the RPG genre. Um, because the substantial quests and good writing has been, like, thrown out the window yeah. in favor of action and stuff that'll keep the majority of the audience playing for longer. Yeah, no, I agree. And this obviously, like, I wouldn't say we're biased, but we have a preference for good writing. Right. Yeah, I agree. both of us. So, you know, when a game is, like, when an interactive product also has as good of a story or good, as good as writing as film, that's something that's very appealing to me, at least. Like, yeah, it's like, oh, wow, I'm playing, I'm playing something that's also, like, insanely 
um, like, detailed and, like, nuanced in terms of, like, characters and all this kind of stuff. It's like, that's fucking cool. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, like, for me personally, I, I don't want just exploration. Like, I know Inquisition was very exploration-focused, and a lot of people loved it because of that. Yeah. But I feel like I want context around a lot of the things that I'm doing, and I want characters, and I want dialogue. Um, I guess that's just me, and a lot of people in the industry at the moment, or the market at the moment, want that sort of stuff. Yeah. That's not where my issue comes in. Where my issue comes in is that um, the formulas have been distilled, basically, to the point where it's meaningless, and it's just become MMO-style quests. Yeah, exactly. Um, and as I said earlier, I feel like video games have come under a, uh, a depression in terms of creativity and we're sort of waiting around for a new revolution. Um, kind of like the jump between SNES and N64 where you literally went from 2D into 3D. Yeah, you changed dimensions. Like, that's a massive jump. I feel like we need something like that to get new ideas and new concepts and new yeah. just ways of storytelling and new ways to interact into the game industry. The thing is, like... It was back then. It was reliant on technology to make that leap. Right now, I don't feel like technology is at the point where there's gonna be that substantial of a leap. I don't know where we can go anymore, apart from VR. Well, that's the thing, and VR is dead, basically. Is it? Is it? Basically, no one's fucking. They're not selling. That's true. I guess they're just waiting around for something more substantial to come around. But I don't think it's the thing. Dead. Is like VR, or maybe not dead, but like. Everyone was helming VR as the next leap, like you're saying. But it's done... It's very, very niche at the moment still. We just don't have the technology for it to be anything more than a gimmick at the moment. Yeah, it's very gimmicky. It's also not consumer-friendly at the moment, I would say, in terms of pricing. In terms of, like, all the peripherals you have to buy in. Peripherals, pricing... Because you've got to think about it this way. VR, you're not just buying the headset. You're also buying a, I don't know, $2,500 computer that yeah, can that's run true. it as well. Like... It's very pricey for what you're getting, which is an experience that once you've experienced it, it is fun, but you don't, at least in my opinion, I, like, I'm not inclined to buy a VR headset. No. Because, you know, I've gone to PAX before, which is a gaming convention, and I've gone to, you know, multiple places where I've tried VR. It's fun in the moment. Would I, like, I wouldn't buy it. Uh, I wouldn't have it for my personal use because I just don't think I'd use it that much. Yeah, well, like, the experience they have at the moment are Batman VR, the Until Dawn game. They're very, like, two-hour experience sort of things where you play them and then you're done. Yeah. They don't really have much replay value. It's it's there just to justify the VR headset's existence. Yeah, exactly. And we're just sort of in a period where we're waiting around for more technology to come out and better technology to sort of justify spending two grand on a PC. Right. Or, um, like, what, $500 on a headset. Yeah, and, like, I guess I guess the best VR out right now is PSVR. Yeah. Because that's the most affordable, I would say. It also, I'd like to say, has the most titles built for it. Like, at least yeah. um, polished titles. That's true. Um, if were, I... Um, they had some... Was it the Star Trek game that was on PSVR? I can't remember. I'm not sure. They had something that was, like, an exclusive PS, PSVR title that was really good. I can't remember what it was. Yeah, there are, there are a bunch that were... They, they're cool, again, to try out. Like, I'd, I'd really want to try them at some point, but I wouldn't buy a headset just for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, as I was saying earlier, we we need to kind of initiate that jump, um, which is interesting because there are devs out there who are sort of 
um, playing around with the ways we can interact with games. I just played a game called Actual Sunlight, um, which came out, I'd like to say, three or four years ago. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like a tiny game. It's really badly polished. Like, I don't see many people playing it. Right. Because of the fact that... Well, it's also indie. Like, not many people play indie games in general. It's also indie, but even with the indie community, you've got games like The Beginner's Guide or uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Stanley Parable, which, like, people hail. This game, I don't think, will get that same sort of praise. And, I, and it hasn't. Because the interactivity portion is so god-awful. Yeah. It was made in RPG Maker. Um, it's like two hours long. The art's disgusting. <laughs> but it, it justifies the fact that it's interactive. Like, a lot of those story-based games, you can't always say, yes, there's a reason for this being interactive. But thematically, I think Actual Sunlight is one of the most interesting games I've played in a long time. Um... Because it's about depression. Right. Um, it's about a man in his 30s, mm-hmm. and he's contemplating suicide, because basically he's working at a dead-end job. He has no one in his circle that he actually likes. Um, there's just nothing going on in his life, aside from video games, because he skipped college, he skipped um, a proper right. education. So he's really got nowhere to go, he's got no money. Um, and he's just living in this crappy apartment. And the reason I find it interesting is... Even though the game portion is shit, it justifies its existence because every time you interact with an NPC, there's kind of like a log um, from a conversation between you and a therapist that plays, um, like, after the fact that you've talked to that NPC. Mm -hmm. So, let's say you talk to, like, a hot girl on on the train, and then after that plays, there'll be a text based portion. Um, where it talks about, like, your anxiety when it comes to talking to people in public or talking to girls and how you've never had love in your your life. Mm. So I thought that game was really interesting because it let you put yourself in the character's shoes. Yeah, that is very interesting. And, like, that is a game that I don't think a lot of people would even bother to look at rather than play. Like, because... (laughs) uh, The interactive portion aside... uh, People don't really want to look at a game about those sort of themes and, like, play it. Because people play games for fun, right? Like, those aren't, like, I don't know, it might just turn off some people, I would say. I think, like, yeah, a lot of people play games for fun. Um, But this is very much a piece of art. And it's a, as the the, uh, director of the game said, it's a portrait of himself. Right. So if you don't want to go into a game... Um, looking at it as a character study or something like that, then it's probably not for you, which is the reason why it probably hasn't done so well. Yeah. Um, I think it's also drowned down by the fact that it's so text-heavy. Yeah, yeah. And by the fact that it's also very relatable to a lot of 20-year-olds and um, 30-year-olds even because it touches on depression, but Mm. under that umbrella, it touches on a lot of issues with modern life. Yeah. Including, like, isolation. Um... Just, like, fears of not doing anything with your, with your life. Yeah, and yeah. I think a lot of people have those. This uh, this might be a good time to mention, um, if you're having any of those thoughts or, like, depression, anxiety, stuff like that, uh, especially if you're getting to the point where you're having suicidal thoughts, there are avenues you can take. Uh, there, are, there is support um, options, therapy. Um, Beyond Blue is a website. Headspace is really good for young people. Um, stuff like that. So little interlude there if you are having because I know these topics might trigger some people um, 
if you're having those thoughts, look into those options because they're very helpful. Yeah, agreed. Um, that actually ties into what I was about to say where the, um, the dev of the game, he put a note specifically in the game from him. So, like, it just broke the fourth wall. Oh, really? Um, and he essentially said that, look, I know the demographic for this game is 20-year-olds, mm. um, and I know a lot of you are going to look at this and be introspective and place that on yourself and yeah, be like, yeah. oh, shit, this is happening to me. Like, why? Shit, my life must be shit. Right. Um, and it was like, don't worry, you still have plenty of time to change things. Mm. Which was another thing about the game which I thought was very interesting. Um because the developer himself, he said that the character was 100% reflective of him. Yeah. Who's basically contemplating suicide and every thought he has is depressive. Right. Um, so the the other aspect of interactivity came in the way this character saw the world um, and put you in the perspective where you could see the world through his eyes, um, where basically... Anything that should be positive was kind of twisted yeah, into yeah. something that was negative, and it really allowed the audience to see that. Um, and I don't think it could have been done in any other medium, which is why I thought this game was brilliant. Yeah, I agree. And to tie this back to what I was saying, actual sunlight is a good justification of the medium and a great way for storytelling to go forward because it kind of goes past like the classic RPG format where yeah, yeah. it's like grand and you've got fucking races to save and shit like that this is pure introspection mm. where it's someone putting their thoughts and brain onto a canvas and saying and putting the ca- and putting the player into the shoes where they can live that life yeah and i think that's the way forward for storytelling i think introspection is a very good way to tell any sort of story um if a creator comes if you're able to tell a story as a creator and that and some part of you comes through, I think you've done a fantastic job. Because you're not only able to tell a separate story, but you're also able to show the audience that someone did make this. Yeah. Um, and that maybe they could make something like that. Or it just allows people to realize that like everything in the world is created. So therefore, introspection is like... I don't know what I'm really trying to say here. Basically, what I'm trying to say, trying to say is that, you know, someone someone's always going through what you're going through. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Someone's always experiencing similar things to what you're experiencing. So, for someone to go out and make a game like that, yeah, 20-year-olds might look at it introspectively and be sad about it, but they could also look at it from a different perspective and say, well, someone had the balls to create this, right? Yeah. Maybe I can project myself or like express myself in a medium that's what i've always said are the best type of stories um essentially the story will tell the story it wants to tell but i think the best tell a second and that's the story of the creators yeah and the roar that is the easier it is for someone to project themselves onto that work of art Mm -hmm. um actually (laughs) here's a segue for you here's why i hate things (laughs) like Certain movies. <laughs> ah, right. And what movie is that, Joe? A little movie came out recently. It's called Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. <laughs> and was it good or was it bad? Here's my expert film opinion for you, the audience. Please, God, please, please don't go see this movie. 
Don't give, don't give it money. Don't. Why is that, Joe? Oh, for many reasons. <laughs> if you want to talk about the creative side of thing, there is none. <laughs> hey, there was a, there was a, there was like a house breaking dinosaur thing. That was original. Justin Trevor directed this. He's a decent director. He directed the first Jurassic World, which I also think is trash, but a lot of people liked it. Did he uh, do Book of Henry as well? He did Book of Henry, which is a very small film, and I think actually think Book of Henry is quite a good film. Right. Um, take like a, like it's it's a very small um, like to use the word introspective again sort of story. And I think he did great with that, and a lot of him comes through in that movie. And especially if you watch interviews about him talking about that movie, you can see parts of his personality within Book of Henry. And then he got given money. (laughs) And by golly, do you not know what to do with that money? (laughs) Hang on, one sec, let me just look up the budget for that film. Oh, I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna, wait, can I get, let's guess. Yeah, let's, let's play the guess game. Uh, I reckon it's at, ooh, shit, 450 million? Oh, much higher. Is it higher? Yep. 800 million. Oh, wait, no, no, I was looking at it at the wrong number. It was actually 170 million, which is... That's a $170 million film? Are you kidding me? I guess they reuse a lot of assets. I guess. Because, okay, I will say one positive thing about it before I get into the negatives. It does look fantastic. Like... That's what I've heard, yeah. Like, it looks brilliant. In terms of cinematography or just visuals? Yeah, in terms of cinematography, visuals, like all that. It's very, very well shot and, like, beautiful. Yeah. As it should be. For a fucking $170 million film. Well, Justice League was $300 million. That's true. <laughs> anyway, uh, why do I hate this film? Good question. Many reasons. Uh, the characters are dog shit awful. <laughs> <laughs> is, is Claire actually a character this time around? Yeah, those are the only good bits of the film. Fucking, um, what's her name? Uh... <sighs> Bryce Dallas Howard. Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt are the best parts of the movie. And that's it. <laughs> right. Chris Pratt is good in anything he does because he's Chris Pat- Pratt. Doesn't mean <laughs> doesn't mean his role is good or what the lines of dialogue he's been given are good, but he's a good actor, so I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he's been able to work with pure shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> My contempt coming through. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else? There's this annoying fucking hacker kid who is just the most excruciating. Bad word. To wa- okay, I should really stop swearing. <laughs> oh yeah, we're not supposed to say that. Let's <laughs> let's blur it. that out. <laughs> just bleep it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just most excruciating piece of shit to watch. Um, just annoying. You don't like any of the characters. Here's another problem I had. Even though Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt are, like, the main characters, you're not rooting for them. At all. Well, aren't they trying to save the dinosaurs? Yes, which is... Maybe some people care about that. But if you actually watch the first Jurassic Park, none of the main characters, except for fucking, um... The main, like, the doctor... The guy who created the the dinosaurs. The dude with the cane. Yeah. (laughs) (coughs) None of them... I'm fucking coughing because I'm worked up. (laughs) (laughs) None of them think Jurassic Park is a good idea. Like, Ian Malcolm, who's in this film, and he's played by, um... 
Why am I forgetting every actor's name? Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, like, literally has a line in Jurassic Park saying how this is a terrible idea. Oh, and John Hammond, that's... The, the John th- Hammond, that's it, yeah. yeah. So John Hammond is, like... There's a great line in Jurassic Park where John Hammond's like, oh, um... What, so the only guy who agrees with me is the lawyer? And the joke there is that no one thinks this is a good idea and they understand how it can go very, very wrong. And here's the funny thing. It does go very, very wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then I have to somehow suspend my disbelief to watch Jurassic World. Oh, I'm getting to Fallen Kingdom, by the way. Don't you worry. Okay. I have to suspend my disbelief about Jurassic World to think that they saw what happened in Jurassic Park, Lost World, and Jurassic Park 3 <laughs> and thought... A dinosaur park's fine. We'll we'll do it better. We'll do it better. What? (laughs) Wait, but in Jurassic World, don't they, like, crossbreed the dinosaurs to make even more powerful dinosaurs? Yep, they make the fucking, like, fucking, like, T-Rex cross hybrid, which is, like, it doesn't make sense. It just makes no fucking sense as to why they've continued to do this. So Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom opens, and here's all your spoilers for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. I've already recommended you don't go see it. So, if you really do want to waste your money, please don't. They're going to make a sequel if you buy <laughs> tickets to this movie. If you really want to waste your money, tune out now. I'm going to spoil the entire film. Uh, which is already spoiled in the third trailer, so it doesn't matter anyway. Oh, Ooh, boy, I'm angry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> the film opens with Ian Malcolm giving an address to the Senate saying that the dinosaurs on Isla Nubar, which is the island in Jurassic World, should not be saved because there's an impending volcano, volcanic eruption happening, right? So if that happens, it's going to make all the dinosaurs extinct. Mm-hmm. He's saying, let it happen. This is nature's way of telling us that these animals are meant to be extinct, mm-hmm. right? Darwinian sort of theory, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They are predators. They are above us in the food chain. <laughs> Because they eat anything yep. and are massive. Kill them. <laughs> <laughs> or better yet, don't create them. Yeah. And then that. don't create them a second fucking time. <laughs> so, our main characters of the film disagree with this wholeheartedly. So I'm immediately against what the main characters are thinking. Are they are they trying to push some like PC left agenda here? I not like that. It's more like animal rights sort of thing. Oh, okay. Which is like they're fucking predators. <laughs> here's here's the weird thing about all those films. You have this film like preaching animal rights. You have Ready Player One, which was preaching the importance. Of um, individuality. Don't get me started on that fucking film. Have you seen it? No, but I've heard a tr- I've heard enough to not want to fucking see it. It's it's preaching for individuality and against like corporations and corporations having a lot of control over the world. Right. Who fucking made that movie? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Continue. I just had to. I had to mention that. Uh, it just. So. The rest of the movie. By the way, there's a massive twist midway through the movie. So if you saw, if you saw like the first trailer where you think the entire movie is about getting the dinosaurs off the island, that's only half the movie. The rest of the movie is about bringing the fucking dinosaurs to the mainland, US, mm-hmm. in which a corrupt fucking like billionaire guy wants to sell them to people who want to use them as weapons. That's right. 
which is a plot point, which was in Jurassic World, which was dumb in Jurassic World, and it's dumb here. Do you reckon they just ran out of plot after the second half? They got, like, 40 minutes into the film, and they're like, fuck, what are we going to do? I don't understand. I just don't understand it. So they're fucking auctioning off these dinosaurs, right? And they make, guess what? Guess what, Luke? They make another fucking dinosaur hybrid. (laughs) (laughs) That's supposed to be you, like, that you could train to, like, do military shit with. Here's the thing. I heard it was supposed to be a smart dinosaur, but it never does anything smart. You know what it does? (laughs) What does it do? Someone accidentally lets the fucking cage loose that it's in, and it goes goes and kills everybody in the room. Ah. (laughs) Like a smart dinosaur would. Yep. <laughs> Were they just trying to recreate that kitchen scene in the first Jurassic Park? Oh, no, absolutely. Because you know, if you watch this movie, all they do is fucking reference Jurassic Park. in Like, they just try to pay homage to Jurassic Park in every fucking scene. You know what the, the best thing about these movies is? The only thing I remember from Jurassic World is that there was a Jeep with the old Jurassic Park logo on it. That's yeah. all I remember about that film. <sighs> Don't remember anything else. <laughs> Trust me, just don't. <laughs> keep it out. Keep it repressed. Keep it in the back of your mind. Yeah. Never tap into that. I'd also um like to take this opportunity to recommend Red Letter Media's review. Yeah. Of um of Jurassic World Two. Um, I just work Fallen Kingdom. That's the name. Please oh. get it right. It's very important. <laughs> <laughs> that okay. That's that would be a really confusing naming scheme because you've got Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park Two, and then you've got. Technically, what's Jurassic Park 4, and then Jurassic Park 5, which is Jurassic Park 4-2. You get what I mean? Not at all. Anyway, <laughs> um, I, I highly recommend Red Letter Media, because they do really, really long, comprehensive reviews of films. AAA films in particular. Uh-huh. And those videos within themselves, like, little films with story and everything. So I'd highly recommend them, because they've got this um, very cynical view, which Joe and I share when it yeah. comes to modern film. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're a very good channel. That's not to say we don't like modern film. There are fantastic modern films that come out. I liked in um, Infinity War. Infinity War is actually quite good. Um, Incredibles 2, if you haven't seen that, that's a fantastic movie. You should go see that. Yeah. Uh, Hereditary. I haven't seen it, but I heard it's a fucking incredible horror movie. Um, that's like redefining how horror should be. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so definitely go see that. Don't go see this. I'll just end... By saying how the movie ends. So, okay, the corrupt billionaire, he had, like, a partner, right? And his partner had a daughter. And one of the plot points of the movie is that this daughter is the first human clone. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Now, what's happening is something... Uh, I don't fucking know. Something's gonna kill the dinosaurs in the mansion, right? I don't know what it is. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. Something's about to kill the dinosaurs in the mansion. And the way to stop this is to release them into the mainland to roam free. Oh, no. That's no good. So the main characters actually make a sensible decision. They say, no, we can't do this. Mm-hmm. And the little girl comes up and presses the button. <laughs> and she's like, oh, what's the line she says? She's like, they're like me. They're special or something like that, right? Because they're also clones. Yeah. Some shit like that. I'm like, are you fucking insane? Is that supposed to be a happy ending? 
No, it's not, because then it cuts to Ian Malcolm in another Senate meeting, and he's like, it's truly a Jurassic World now. <laughs> that was a fake laugh, by the way. <laughs> or some shit. And then the movie ends, and I wanted to just walk out of that theater angry. <laughs> I always, I always love when films do that. When, like, the last line, or one of the last lines is, like... It's the title of the fucking movie. <laughs> when they may as well be giving the audience a big wink. <laughs> it's really a Jurassic World now. Our kingdom's gonna be fallen <laughs> very soon. <laughs> oh. It's like, it worked in, uh, in Back to the Future, because it was camp, and it was good. Yeah, and it was 80s. <laughs> it was also 80s, yes. Yeah, so that was the style of filmmaking. But we're in, um... 2018, it's, uh... <laughs> it's contrived bullshit. It's 38 years later. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Anyway, that's my random Jurassic World. Yeah, um... I don't have a segue, so I'm just gonna start talking about my experience at the, uh, Magistrate's Court. Go ahead, uh, you mean, uh, from your work experience? From, from work experience, so... We did it together. Look, we did it together. We didn't, we didn't do it together, we both uh, we, did... Well, we both did the same thing. You were with, um, different times. Angus, yeah. weren't you? Yeah. Um, and the reason I mention this is because I started watching a YouTube channel called Friendly Geordies recently. Yeah, Friendly Geordies is fantastic. Yeah, I'd highly recommend. Um, and he likes to criticize Australian media, um, Australian politics and stuff like that. But he does a series where he does, like, a mock Australian courtroom. And for those who don't know or don't live in Australia, the magistrate's court is the lowest in the court hierarchy. Right. It's for... Really small misdemeanors like um, traffic fines or like uh, legal studies knowledge. Come back to me. Uh, what's the what's the word? Like <laughs> no- nominal, nominal, nominal. Fucking don't cases. No, I don't fucking know. Basically, it's just some really small shit. <laughs> yeah, small shit. But what's funny is you get the weirdest fucking cases. Oh yeah, it's just like. <laughs> It's just dumb idiots. Yeah, <laughs> they've just committed cro- like committed really small crimes and just like don't understand what they did or like why it's important that they don't do what they did. And it's like they'll have someone representing them, and as they're getting trialed, they'll undo everything that the legal aid is doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. But I had this one case in particular. I was sitting in on a meeting. It was like it was a one-on-one. I forget why that was. But it was a process that you do before someone gets sent to the magistrate. Yeah. And they can either resolve it or just, like, send them to the magistrate. So they do it with, like, really, really small or really stupid things. Uh-huh. So what happened here was there was this kid um, who was driving his car. And he had his friends in the back seat, And he would have been, like, 18 or 19. And he was just leaving the supermarket. So he sees this bald guy. And he thought... How funny would it be if I grab an egg and I piff it at his head? <laughs> Little did he know that that bald guy got his license plate, called the cops. Fucking idiot. One year later, <laughs> he was charged for throwing an egg at someone. What a fucking idiot. I... <laughs> Why would you do it in your car where someone can grab your license plate and, and call the cops and charge you? Literally just... Assault for no reason. So th- this this dude with like a mullet and like there was like shaved eyebrows or whatever. I don't know. He was weird looking. He was like he was like classic. <laughs> um, 
But he was just sitting there in like his in his little suit, just like pretending to look sorry. He was looking at the ground, twiddling his thumbs. <laughs> and he, his dad was there, so like I can also oh, imagine how embarrassing that would have been so for both of them. Embarrassing! Holy shit! To be in a situation where you're in court for throwing an egg at someone. <laughs> Actually, you just reminded me of a case that I heard when I was doing my work experience there. And this was like three years ago, by the way. Um, <laughs> so it was a guy that got um, like done up for a uh, drink driving charge, mm-hmm. right? And he was like coming back or something to see whether he would have to get an Invilock on his car. An Invilock, for those of you who don't know, is a breathalyzer that they put on your car door and you have to blow into it every single time you want to use your car. And if you're over the legal alcohol limit, you won't be able to get into your car. So, pretty bad punishment. And pretty embarrassing punishment to have a fucking Invilock on your car. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the magistrate asks him, he's like, Now, what would you do if you're uh, very intoxicated and you need to find a way home and you can't use a car? And he was like... He, like, stumbles for a sec. He's like, uh, um, I'll ride my bike. (laughs) 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 I'm literally sitting up, like, next to the magistrate with the clerk, trying not to laugh my ass off at this idiot. And the magistrate's like, how is that any more safe? (laughs) Like... (laughs) And he's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's so funny when they unwillingly incriminate themselves. <laughs> and it just, like, they're, they're trying to try and help you. Like, they don't want to incriminate you further. They're not pushing for, <laughs> for him to say anything incriminating. They're literally, like, especially in the magistrate's court, they're usually trying to get these people off. Like, okay, I understand you made a mistake. We'll just push you off with a warning, maybe a small fine. Like... Mm-hmm. But they just get worse. <laughs> and the magistrates are forced to be like, dude, like, I don't want to put you in prison. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, it's so it's like, I feel, I feel bad for them, but it's like, come on. Well, at the same time, it's like, just don't do it. <laughs> well, it's like, they'll usually have legal aid there who's arguing for them. Yeah. And they have, like, this sense of righteousness where they feel like they have to defend themselves. <laughs> yeah. And, like, fight back. And it's like, stop. Just don't talk. That's easier. Oh, no. It's so funny because, like, there will just be bits where it's like, the magistrate will try and clarify something that happened. And they'll be like, so he got into his car and he was um excessively, he was like, what, two times over the alcohol limit? I was only one time over the alcohol limit. Like, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> you were over the alcohol limit. Shut up. It's like, um... Do you remember that Rick and Morty animated thing where it was a case between a guy versus the state? Oh, yeah. That was an actual case, you know. It was an actual case. Yeah. Um, and, like, I guess Justin Roiland found it so funny where he was like, okay, I need to do a voice <laughs> over here. And he just wouldn't stop incriminating himself <laughs> and, like, insulting the judge. Yeah, it was fucking hilarious. Didn't he get kicked out or held in contempt at one point? I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he did. <laughs> And then he kept saying that, like, he wasn't given the paperwork by by his lawyer. And then he started blaming his lawyer. <laughs> so stupid. So stupid. All right. Um, 
I think we should wrap up. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a that's a good place to end it. Yeah. Uh, well, if you enjoyed what you heard slash saw, if you're watching the video podcast, um, then make sure to subscribe. We don't have any social media set up, do we? Um, we don't have any social media set up yet, but they will be up by next episode. Yeah. Um, what you can do is follow our personal social media. Yeah, do that. Um, so you can follow me on Instagram at Joe, uh, which is J-O-E, underscore Pag, P-A-G, 13. And you can follow me on Instagram at Spencerino underscore Reborn, and that is S-P-E-N-C-E-R-I-N-O underscore R-E-B-O, sorry, not O, zero. You're making uh, this real easy. (laughs) (laughs) I really did. Please follow me. Um, (laughs) And you can follow my Twitter at at Luke Rotella. That's L-U-K-E. Wow, that one's easy. Double L-A. I haven't gotten around to changing that to Spencerino Reborn yet. Don't. <laughs> and you can follow me on Twitch, and I'm pretty sure that's just um, Rotelaraptor. We'll put them all in the description. Yeah, I'll chuck them up on screen. Yeah. There we go. It's up on screen. They'll be somewhere. Um, and if I get one follow, I will do a stream. One follow on what, Twitch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, guys. He needs one. <laughs> Please. Every time I stream, I get between one and two views, and it's usually me on my phone monitoring... The stream. <laughs> See how sad. See how sad we are as creators. Yeah. <laughs> Help our starving artist selves make things. Yeah. By supporting this podcast. Okay. Well, that's a that's a wrap. <laughs> yeah. What a good way to end it. Yeah. What, what, a, what do you want from me? On an error. On an error? What so, do you mean? You said that's a that's a that's a that's a rap. You said that's a vap or something like that. I said that's a rap. And then you corrected it to that's a rap. I said that's a rap.